This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. What the heck is the U.S. Department of Agriculture doing financing rural hospitals or rural electricity or rural housing? Rural Iowa is the backbone of our state. Over half of the towns in our state have 500 or less people. But reinventing those areas can be a challenge. They're going to be moving to these smaller communities where they can have great quality of life. They want to start a family and they're starting to think about schools. They can be true community leaders and their vision's a reality. The needs of rural Iowa, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Despite urban sprawl and a larger metro population proportionately than ever, Iowa is still fundamentally a rural state. Our fortunes rise and fall based on how robust Iowa's agribusiness industry is. Maintaining a high quality of life for rural Iowans in a changing world can be a challenge. Grant Menke is State Director for Rural Development in Iowa for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. He was appointed to the position in August 2018. At USDA Rural Development, my job is going to be to oversee the, the key programs that USDA Rural Development manages to help increase prosperity in rural Iowa. We provide loans and grants to help expand economic opportunities and to help create jobs in rural areas. So some of this assistance supports infrastructure improvements. For instance, we've got a really big uh, push right now um, to help as many rural communities as possible upgrade and rebuild their rural water infrastructure. Um, business development, housing, community services such as schools, public safety, health care, and then uh, rural broadband, uh, you know, getting high-speed internet access in rural areas as well. So those are some of the key focus areas um, that we have. And in addition to overseeing those programs, I'm going to be um, out around the state as much as I can to help inform people about those programs, how they can help their communities, and to expand partnerships um, uh, to, to help uh, work together to move rural Iowa, Iowa forward. Um, the longstanding motto of USDA Rural Development is that we are committed to the future of rural communities. I'm excited about that mission and really excited to get to work. This truly is a matter of reinventing what rural communities mean to those who live there and for those who might want to visit. Talk about the need to make rural Iowa different and distinctive, either one area from another or an area from how it used to be a generation or two ago. Oh, that's a great point. And Iowa has about 975 towns across the state. Out of those 975 towns, how many of them have 500 or fewer people living in them? And the answer is about 500. So over half of the towns in our state have 500 or less people, which just shows you, you know, and yeah, more than two-thirds of our state's 3.1 million residents live in communities and areas that are eligible to receive financial assistance from USDA Rural Development. So, you know, rural communities clearly play an important role 
and the success of our state. Uh, and, uh, you know, so as we look at some of the key challenges, I'll go back to, you know, water quality is a huge focus in our state right now. And, uh, you know, Congress happened to provide rural development with an additional $4 billion nationwide to assist rural communities in areas that need assistance to finance their drinking water, stormwater, drainage, and, and sewer systems. You know, the town I grew up in, Calumet, Iowa, in O'Brien County, um, is participating in this program, I just learned last week. And they're doing a complete overhaul of their water system to the tune of about $2 million. Can you imagine a town that has about 90 households taking on a project like that without the key partnership with USDA Rural Development, the O'Brien County Economic Development Group, that type of assistance uh, and that type of infrastructure improvement would not get to take place. So. Yeah, when we're looking at our objectives going forward, you know, Secretary Purdue has has outlined three priorities that are central to his plan, and those are uh, improving infrastructure, enhancing partnerships, and embracing innovation. So whether it's you know, uh, you know, the need for affordable housing for local workforces in uh, rural communities you know, expanding entrepreneurial enterprises or things like water infrastructure improvements, uh, rural broadband. Those are the areas that are going to help uh, our rural communities not just survive, but thrive uh, moving on into the 21st century. Grant Menke, Iowa Director of Rural Development for the USDA. You can find out more at rd.usda. The man who held that position in the prior presidential administration is still heavily involved in these issues. After leaving government service in January 2017, Bill Menner founded the Bill Menner Group and became director of the Iowa Rural Development Council. That group sponsored the Rural Development Summit in Grinnell in April 2018. And people would often say, what the heck is U.S. Department of Agriculture doing financing rural hospitals or rural electricity or rural housing, and, and frankly, the, the answer is pretty obvious. Uh, farmers and ranchers rely on small towns for a lot of things, and without those small towns and rural places, uh, U.S. agriculture struggles. So, you know, USDA Rural Development had loans and grants and loan guarantees to do everything from housing to utilities to small business, to community facilities. And when, when my time there ended, I really liked what I did. And I thought the only way that I could keep, keep my uh, fingers in the, the rural development uh, area was to start my own consulting firm. And shortly thereafter, the Iowa Rural Development Council, which is a nonprofit umbrella group of lots of rural partners, came to me and said, we think we need at least a part-time executive director can we contract with you to be our executive director? And the answer was yes. So, I mean, sort of a, a nice uh, fortuitous alignment of the stars. Uh, but at the end of the day, I get to keep working with small towns and with people who want to work in rural places. That goes back to November of 2016. And we all gathered in Jefferson, Iowa, uh, the first ever rural summit that the council put on. And really, it was sort of a bunch of folks 
pitching in and doing all they could to make this project happen, what we learned from that event was, A, there's a real demand for this sort of information. Uh, if you live in a really small town, you're, you may not have access to the same networks that folks who do community development work, for example, in a big city might have. They get together all the time and they have paid staff to do these things. If you live in a small town and you do this sort of work, uh, you might be doing it as a volunteer. You might be doing it as the uh, elected but um, part-time mayor or city council person or the volunteer nonprofit uh, development director. And you may not get to go to these same sorts of meetings or uh, have the same resources that the folks in big cities have. When you're working with some of these communities, Where's the gratification for Bill Menner? When you look at something, I mean, what is the sort of thing that makes you say there? This is something that was totally worth the time. Uh, when someone, after the project is done, calls and tells you about it and says thank you. Or honestly, just driving through town and seeing something that happened because you, I don't even need the thanks, but it's, it's nice to see it come to reality. Bill Menner of the Iowa Rural Development Council. You're listening to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. On the first day of each month, a new Mid-America Business Conditions Index report is released. It's a survey of supply managers in nine Midwest and Plain states, including Iowa. It's spearheaded by Creighton University economist Ernie Goss, who notes that the most recent survey marks the 21st straight month that the index has shown above-neutral growth indicators. A lot to do with optimism, uh, Jeff. We're, uh, the businesses out there are very optimistic. The manufacturers, of course, healthy profit growth is stimulating that. And I think also, I think some of the exports will pull will pull forward. In other words, uh, uh, those our trading partners buying today instead of waiting later on in the year when tariffs are likely to be increased, at least as they see it. Also, on the other side, imports. We've imported more goods for the same reason, anticipating greater uh, trade uh, trade tariffs and restrictions. So I think that's part of it as well. Low interest rates, even though interest rates are headed higher, they're still pretty attractive out there. So you put it all together and it's still a very strong economy. Housing is one of the uh, weakening sectors, I'd call it. And what do we think that means and what, what's the danger of that if, in fact, housing is weakening as opposed to manufacturing? Well, of course, that's a very large portion of our economy, and with mortgage rates headed higher, and also just a lot of not a supply, the limited supply of houses on the market. And of course, that that just means for lower uh, lower sales, and that spills over into the furniture sector and other sectors. Much like manufacturing, the tentacles are pretty long on housing as it is with manufacturing. We'll see some of those impacts. I expect the rate hike on uh, by, from the Federal Reserve on September the twenty sixth. That'll tend to push up interest rates even more, and importantly, what they tell us about another rate hike, if there's going to be one in 2018, is going to have some fairly significant impacts on the economy in the fourth quarter of this year. Are we able to say that much of this is because of anticipatory buying? In other words, and we're going to really have a crash then in the next quarter. I mean, that's you've suggested that people are anticipating these tariffs really going into effect, and so is this a bit of a false positive? 
I think it's a bit of a false positive, but I wouldn't say a crash, uh, Jeff. I think we're just going to see slower growth, and that's going to stem from uh, higher higher uh, interest rates coming from higher inflation. Also, as I said, the housing sector slowing down, and manufacturing will be a bit slower because of this. Uh, the tariffs, uh, they will have some in, in real impacts. If, the, On the other hand, if the president is successful, we neg- he negotiates a, a new NAFTA with Canada rolled in, and also does not implement implement those higher tariffs he's promised for China, then it could be a, a little bit better than what I'm anticipating now. Dr. Ernie Goss is an economist at Creighton University and a return guest to this program. When we come back, we'll talk with a community planner who specializes in revitalizing Iowa small towns. That's next when the Iowa Watch Connection continues. But first, let me tell you about a special event coming up on Sunday, September 23rd. It's called Sunset on the Farm, and it's our annual evening to enjoy food, drink, and fellowship, and to support Iowa Watch. It's from 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. at Geyer's Oven Farm, just outside of Iowa City near Oxford. Join us for an evening admiring the sunset over the gorgeous Iowa countryside. Sunset on the Farm, a fundraiser to support Iowa Watch, on Sunday, September 23rd. More information is at iowawatch.org. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. Bethany Wilcoxon is a senior advisor at McClure Engineering Company in Des Moines. They work with communities in purposeful planning and partnerships. Earlier this year, her role with McClure was as Vice Principal of Community Planning, and we spoke in Grinnell at the Iowa Rural Development Summit held there. It seems to me that for many of these folks, the issue is not desire, but it's we don't know where to turn, we don't know what to do. Give me some examples, and you've mentioned some communities that you folks have worked with, but give us some examples of projects that we can look to as unique to that area, but yet also maybe inspirational for others. So I'll point to Stanton. Again, 637 people in southwest Iowa. They've done $39 million in improvements since 2010 which is unreal for a community of that size, but they said that's not enough. How do we continue to improve this? So uh, we looked at seven different projects, one being a citywide housing initiative. We oftentimes hear about the number of housing units and there's just been some great coverage in Des Moines Register recently about that. And we look at that the units may technically be there, but are they the places that younger people are wanting to live in? Are they modern and updated? Are there apartments that people can live in if they're new to a community? So that's something we looked at with Stanton. We looked at an artist residency, designed a business plan to put an artist residency in an old gas station, uh, which is right on the main street, uh, blocked 
down the road uh, designed a restaurant. There is currently no sports bar in all of Montgomery County. So how can we reposition this former restaurant to complement the existing restaurant in town, to make sure we don't compete, but augment that and get people to the community. Uh, one of the other pieces we looked at was connectivity from Viking Lake, which draws 100 to 150,000 people every year to town. So designing a trail route for that to, again, spur that economic development. Also designed a makerspace uh, to pro promote STEM education uh, for both youth and adults. Uh, designed some grocery lockers, uh, looking at a partnership uh, with Hy-Vee in Red Oak. That mm. There's no grocery store in Stanton, so how can we make it easier? So using the existing aisles online infrastructure and really looking to have regular delivery to the community. Uh, and then the last one is a mixed-use revitalization project, redoing the facade of one of the main street buildings and then putting modern rentals uh, in the remainder of the building. That second-story housing, we really believe, is one of the great opportunities for all of our communities. This is something that I believe your company is calling creative placemaking. Mm -hmm. It is a unique term of art that you folks have developed. That's really what you're talking about, isn't it? To be someone from outside who doesn't have the history that may be a hindrance and can just look at it holistically and say, trust us to some degree, but what if all of these things are possible? Yeah, we start with that community vision and we make our own assessments, but we get those ideas, you know, Stanton, for instance, that makerspace, we didn't go in with that as a preconceived idea. That was something that came out during the visioning sessions that we'd like to maybe have a spot for more STEM education, supplement what's offered in the schools. There's a great old building uh, just a block off of Main Street. And we said, what if? So then we go through, design that business plan, uh, looking at a woodworking shop for that, looking at how we can collaborate with Red Oak, which also offers a great welding program. So we go in, have that fresh perspective, and I'm just as guilty of this as anybody. I walk down the street or drive by and don't even notice it, and then someone says something, and then I think, oh, oh yeah, that could be something. And so it's so easy to get in your routine and you just think, oh, that building's there. It's, it's always been in that condition, and it's never going to change. So that's what we do. Uh, we like to dream big and find stuff to put in old buildings. And if you say, well, that's been the clothing store for generations, you don't think of it as being anything other than a clothing store if you're native to the area. And obviously the approach you take in a town like Stanton because of what's around in Montgomery County is different than Hardin County because there you had the communities who had to all buy in or the whole thing falls, right? Right, and that's the beauty of the Hardin County strategy is that it's all the communities coming together in a way they never have before. They're all part of different regional groups, but to dream big about what we can do in that community. So we had a dozen projects for Hardin County. Uh, three of those are countywide, and then the rest are in the different communities. So we have a couple in Iowa Falls, but then we have a cultural center that we designed for one of the smaller communities. We had an outdoors outfitter that we're looking to put along a new trail that's being put in. So a variety of projects, and just because it's a town of 300 people, why shouldn't they have great river access and recreational opportunities? And figure out how to leverage that for economic development opportunities. So let me pick up on that lastly, because someone listening might say, well, if all of our areas do all of these things, 
then we're just back where we started because there's not enough population for it. I assume part of it is that you tend to grow population through doing these things, but maybe the other part is that what does work in this county isn't what's going to work in the others and there are enough good ideas around. Exactly, there is no shortage of ideas and concepts that we can bring to a community and they're different in every community and they will materialize in different ways in every community. And that's just it, you touched on it. Zach and I always talk in our presentations in the early 2000s, young people were moving to the coast. But now those markets are oversaturated and if you start to look at some of the larger communities in Iowa, some of them are starting to get oversaturated. So if young people want to innovate and be pioneers, where are they going to be moving? They're going to be moving to these smaller communities where they can have a great quality of life. They want to start a family and they're starting to think about schools and they can be true community leaders and pioneer and make their visions a reality. Every generation wants something different and this is the different to revert back and with technology being what it is once you get the infrastructure, which is enough of a challenge, but once you get that, then possibilities open up. Well, yeah, we look at autonomous vehicles and we look at 3D printing and how that is just going to transform the marketplace, both in terms of construction industry on the 3D printing, but then on autonomous vehicles. You know, that really opens up the labor shed and experts on autonomous vehicles say they'll be adopted widely anywhere from 2021 to 2040, which we think there are incredible opportunities and really millennials are looking at a place to live before they think about a job. And we see that continuing and as a prime opportunity for rural Iowa to really grow population as well as the economies. Bethany Wilcoxon of McClure Engineering in Des Moines. We spoke in April 2018 at the Iowa Rural Development Summit in Grinnell. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. Next week, we'll focus on bias and hate-related incidents on our college campuses. You've seen the reporting from our partners nationwide on the topic at iowawatch.org. The Iowa Story is now online there and will be heard on this program next week. Before we go, a reminder that you have less than two weeks to register to attend the annual Celebrating a Free Press and Open Government Banquet in Des Moines. It's on Thursday, September 27th and features Iowa Watch co-founder and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Stephen Berry as the guest speaker. Register now to join us for the sixth annual Celebrating a Free Press and Open Government Banquet in Des Moines. You can do it by going to iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.